Hello to our dear listeners and welcome. It's The Media Beat, episode 31. Uh, I am your host, Oliver Turnbull, and with me, as ever, is Maureen Kerr. And she is the lead partner in the media practice of the oldest management consultancy firm in the world, Arthur D. Little. She knows everything media. She has had roles in media and she has consulted on media and she now leads the practice for Arthur D. Little. And Claire Tavernier is her friend and my friend, uh, but she's known more in a long time. They have had all sorts of associations in the past work-wise. Um, Claire is uh, a media commentator, but she still works in the industry. She has held a variety of very high-profile roles. Uh, and so who better to talk about the vagaries of the media industry and what's going on right now uh, than these two ladies? Maureen, firstly, I'll say hello to you. Hello. Hello, Oliver. Hello, Claire. Hello, listeners. <laughs> and hello, Claire. Hello, Oliver and Maureen and everybody. And Maureen's had a hard day uh, yesterday, um, so she's been to see the Barbie movie, uh, and that seems to have cheered her up, and she's again bounced back to her usual cheerful self this morning. So sorry you had a hard day, Maureen, but hopefully um, having a little bit of fun and digging down into the world of media is going to help maintain that mood that that Barbie puts you in. Indeed, indeed it has. uh, Yeah, it was a hard day, but productive day yesterday. And yes, and I took myself off to uh, every man. And I, and I sat there in a comfy chair watching Barbie. It was brilliant. Go, Ken! Go, Ken! Yes, so absolutely, absolutely amazing. Anyway, back to the real world. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, to talk a little. Uh, do I talk yet or do I uh, just simply say hello oh, to absolutely. you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the only <laughs> thing that I'm going to add to this conversation is to say what you are about to talk about. So, yeah, no, the deep dive starts with Maureen today. We uh, rehearse for hours, listeners. I know, hours ridiculous. before we come on. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, it seems like we put the rehearsal tape out rather than the actual tape. Damn. No, I mean, this is part of our charm. I think we, yeah. we, uh, we mumble along in our, in, our own, uh, in our own little way. So what Maureen is just about to give us is a sort of overview of the digital advertising spend. I mean, everybody has a concept of what it means, but it's, it's, I think it's probably time for one of Maureen's legendary overviews uh, and, and maybe uh, diving a little bit into the issue. So digital advertising spend, Maureen, what is it? Is it recovering? And um, what's the landscape and the interesting facts and figures about it? Maureen, now now you speak. <laughs> <laughs> so from the studio to Maureen on the ground. Yeah. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, so, so no, it's been a really interesting week. Um, we've seen a whole bunch of uh, statistics out there for the uh, the industry as a whole. As you know, um, this is an area that, that Claire and I cover uh, uh, quite uh, uh, regularly um, on the podcast and also in our in our day to day activities. So, yes, yeah, so, so some of the stats that have come out are pretty pretty strong and pretty positive actually. Um, in terms of overall uh, revenue growth in the advertising spend, uh, uh, as we've discussed before, um, we had figures, forecast figures from the big uh, global agencies uh, that were to the tune of sort of you know eight percent reforecast down to six percent, um, but we're hovering back up there for digital advertising within the overall global spend at around um, 8%, so really quite encouraging. Uh, Those were the uh, figures that came out in May time. Um, So still a sizable sizable market um, and some some good growth. That said, it does paint um, a rather, uh, let's say, misleading picture 
of really what's going on with the variety of players within uh, uh, that market. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about that. So, um, and, and I know Claire will dig a little deeper into what the sort of in, idiosyncrasies of of the ad ad market and the technology players that are serving those markets. But but what we're seeing and we read across. Uh, traditional advertising and a digital ad spend is a number of um, parties have come out with their their figures and it's strong in some parts and not so strong you know in others so it's a real mixed bag um, we can read across also to uh, results from ITV ITV are down on sort of advertising more broadly speaking to the tune of 50% which was quite sort of shocking surprising um, but we're also looking at some of the global advertising agencies, in particular IPG and Omnicrom, that have come out and also with some soft numbers. Um, but there are a couple of others uh, that are faring quite well. Publicis is, is, is one that's doing okay, as is WPP. So there's some really interesting um, uh, things going on that we need to get under the boots, uh, under the bonnets, I should say, uh, of. Um, and again, I think Claire sort of can, can, can talk to a little little about that um, um, but but when you start to look at some of the um, stock performances of these businesses you can see some really strong confidence coming back from the city and from the street um, in in the US um, supporting some of these major players so all of the internet advertising companies or some of the significant internet advertising companies are up 10% um, and some of the ad tech technology companies underpinning that are up about 7%, 8%. So so some really good figures coming out um, across the two quarters against what we keep hearing as this sort of ad-driven recession that really isn't surfacing for the totality of the industry, but is surfacing for some, um, and some, some significant players are not seeing the fruits and the benefits of some of their hard-earned either innovation or efficiencies. Um, and I can cite one or two of those, and that is uh, Snap is definitely not uh, boding well um, in terms of the uh, the market position. But uh, I'll 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 pause there because there are some there's some interesting things I think in the, in the sort of deeper dive across say Meta and Google that we can we can jump into um, and including some of the real real I think innovations efficiencies some of the top line growth from from both Google and Meta that, that we're seeing um, for the first time, I think, in a few years that are, that, are, that are really boring. So on the profitability side, so that's all the cost efficiency measures that they've put through in the last year or two, um, as well as on, on, the, on the revenue side, um, both players showing two consecutively strong quarters. So, so all in all, I think quite, quite interesting, quite encouraging, but as Claire will, will share with you, I think some, some interesting diverse um, um, and polarized um, matters that are going on in the industry. Thank you, Maureen. What a wonderful setup. And yes, it's interesting. So the ad spend in general, obviously, hit by the global recession. Digital ad spend was always going to be slightly more resilient because it's a growing market anyway. Uh, and But but the, um, the it is doing better than people were expecting with, with uh, annual growth rates in the region of 8%, predicted in the region of 8% rather than the 6% that was that was sort of uh, talked about earlier in the year. The interesting thing about digital ad spend, and just to be, to be clear, digital advertising, that's any ad that you see on your computer or your mobile. Uh, the, you know, that it's that it is 
insanely uh, concentrated. So Amazon, Google, and um, and Facebook or Alphabet and Meta, as they're called these days, represent seventy percent. That's huge, over seventy percent of the total spend in in digital advertising. So that three company globally representing over seventy percent of of the total spend and. The results that we're saying, seeing is that certainly on the Google and, and Facebook side or Google and Meta side, their growth is outstripping other platforms, which means that that 70% is likely to go higher. It's also true of Amazon, less so because they're starting from a lower base, but we, we covered in, in another podcast the growth of retail media and Amazon is obviously you know, really, really strong in that market. And that's one of the fastest growing segments of, of online advertising. So we can expect Amazon's growth to continue to outstrip the market as well. So what does that mean? It means that other advertising, online advertising companies are not doing so well because if the two big ones are doing really well, they're pulling the whole market, but, it, but it's not necessarily good news for everybody. And as you said, Maureen, Snap's not looking as strong as people were hoping for. Uh, they still have a good audience, they still have a high retention, but they're not managing quite to monetize it in the way that the market is hoping. By contrast, Facebook, for instance, was expected to be suffering quite significantly from, I don't know if you remember this, Apple put together some really strict uh, privacy guidelines across their, their phones. So anybody with an iPhone would have been told that they don't need to be tracked online. And this was all a way, frankly, for Apple to minimize Facebook's uh, pulling of data from their platform. And everybody thought that was going to impact Facebook's business quite dramatically, and it hasn't. It hasn't. Facebook is advertising and continued to grow very, very fast including on the traditional Facebook platform. So this, although Instagram is probably the best performing platform in the meta portfolio, Facebook itself is still doing well, even though people are saying that it's dead, it's not dead. Uh, the, one of the key success stories is, is Instagram Reels, which is doing particularly well, which is interesting because we all know Reels was launched as a, as a competitor to TikTok, and it's actually providing a huge monetization platform for, for meta as a whole. But the interesting thing about all of this is that Meta and Google, to a lesser extent, are crediting artificial intelligence for their success in mobile and online advertising and saying that the application of artificial intelligence to their algorithm has allowed them to generate this sort of increased success. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops and if it's sustainable. But um, yeah, I, I have some misgivings. This is, to a market that is so concentrated and regulators have looked at it before and I suspect they will look at it again. But right now it's it's a game with two and a half horses, I would say. Indeed. And I, and I think, um, well, well, they kind of like dominated and they were duopoly, you know, predating Amazon really going in and taking five, 6% share. And then the uh, also the introduction of, or the emergence of Snap and others. You know, they they were they were known to have eighty percent back back then, and 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 the regulators didn't do anything about it. So I think it's very much left to market forces. But I mean, you have to kind of applaud them for um, both on the efficiency gains and on the revenue growth. So it's it's really unusual to see that profitability gains um, uh, across both companies. So um, I, I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't I, I'm like you I wouldn't suggest that it's all AI driven, but it's certainly significant automation um, that they're uh, benefiting from. But I also think it's some really interesting, innovative 
products that are not necessarily AI related. Um, but I think we're all concerned, as you've alluded to, that, that certainly Meta would suffer from the Apple um, uh, mobile ID, uh, let's call it backlash, but, mm-hmm. but, but possibly it's only Snap. That's, that's probably been the casualty of that uh, rather than uh, the other the other players, but I was really staggered to see some some of the stats that they were sharing and sharing with us that YouTube Shorts, for example, have got over two billion login users now, um, and and the run rate for Reels was to, again to the tune of about ten billion. So these are these are really highly significant parts of the business now that's fueling the growth, um, and and I think I think they're there to stay. So um, I think Snap is an issue for advertisers because it's just subscale so i'm not quite sure what they'll do uh i was talking to a colleague um uh, and they were reckoning that maybe maybe this is the time now for apple to snap up snap um one of our predictions maybe could be could be something but be interesting um, apple hasn't really think? invested in in advertising backed businesses uh or in content-driven businesses, but it would be interesting. I mean, Snap is still, Snap has a very loyal target demographic, uh, which has remained and renewed over the years whenever, when other things have come and gone. So that's, that's a really positive thing that they have, but they haven't quite managed to expand their suite of, of activities around the platform, which is obviously something that, for instance, Elon Musk is trying to do at Twitter slash X at, at the moment. Uh, just one more thing I think worth talking about in the advertising business is obviously the, the Chinese company Tencent and JDD in particular and Alibaba to a lesser extent coming in and taking some of that market share, still quite small in the grand scheme of things, but, but growing very fast as well as newcomers. Yeah, I agree. But go, go back to Snap, actually, just for one one, one minute. Um, what I picked up as well is that they have introduced, Snap have introduced a really interesting um, incentivization reward scheme for their influencers. And it apparently outbids or outpays uh, some of the other platforms, including TikTok. So they've been, uh, so I think that is one of those mechanisms to keep their influencers loyal and then therefore their audiences uh, they just don't have enough of those mm. you know compared to some of the big players but that that's been great and you know one or two of these um snap influencers have, have managed to get tens of thousands you know, of dollars and one to a million so it's uh so so it's quite a it's quite an interesting platform it's a, there's a lure there for these big influencers to to, to go and sit on snap snap's platform it's a funny yeah. um, question, isn't it, between um, what what's is driving uh, the the domination of the two big players? Uh, is it is it the value of the content or the desirability of the content, so people are drawn to it, or is it the AI algorithms? I'm assuming um, it's a combination of both. And if it is the AI algorithms, are they all in house? So they've got the best data scientists, or are there um, algorithms that that multiple of the players use? Well, uh, for Meta and Google, it, they're in-house for sure, and that's and that's definitely something they've invested enormously over the last year, and they have decided very clearly that it was going to be a key differ- differentiating factor, and indeed it looks like it works for them. Uh, I would say for the Chinese competitors, probably in-house as well, but for Snapchat, it's going to be a mixture. They probably will have very good data scientists in-house, but probably not the deep pockets to build their own AI 
systems. So they will be using other other systems that the from the market would be yeah. my expectation. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And just to see all the dynamics at play and the two dominating and all the factors influencing, no one really knows. Uh, AI data being important as well. It's a common themes throughout our um, our podcasting. And, and what was the uh, what was the prediction you made about Snap? Maybe now the time for That's a purchase. A big one. I don't know about that, but it's an issue. I'm gonna, we're going to keep an eye on it. Yeah. Well, let's log it yeah, as Apple one of our buys, famous Apple predictions. Snap. Can you, Apple buy yeah, Snap. Got yeah. it. Apple buy Snap. Okay. Let's well, put it on the board. We need a board of Absolutely. running predictions from Maureen with, with predictions yeah. board. Yeah, because yeah, no one's going to remember the predictions we get wrong. You know, it's like no, I'm exactly. sure Copernicus said loads of things that uh, didn't actually happen. And the things that did happen, everyone goes, that's amazing, Copernicus. And no doubt he went, thank you. Uh, brilliant. Uh, another one of the legendary deep dives. I've learned things. Uh, yeah, really, really interesting. I'm going to take you one more thing on Facebook, which is that they've changed their algorithm from... It used to serve you things that people that you were connected with liked. And at some point, partly because of the Apple ID crackdown, mobile ID crackdown, they started serving you things that they changed their algorithm towards popularity in general in your demographic rather than things that people that you're connected with like. And that's worked much better for them. So it's interesting to see uh, that we're basically sheep, I guess, is my conclusion of that. Oh, <laughs> that no. the social network is less important than the sort of targeted advertising group you're part of. Oh, no. So the fact that I'm friends with you guys is far less important than the fact that I'm I'm uh, friends with loads of other 50-year-old white gammons. Well, oh, even no. if you're not friends with them, that's the point. You're still more similar than I them. am one. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is exactly it. That it. It seems that it's more relevant. The fact that you're a 50-year-old white man who likes music is more relevant than the fact that you're friends with us. Even though we're not friends on Facebook, maybe we should try just to see. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. I mean, some people keep those two things very, very separate. Yes, a good point. So what you are is more important than whom you know, maybe uh, a, a summary in terms yes, of... Yes, which is interesting like, which is from sort of a company that builds itself on the basis of a social network and, you know, the connection. Was yeah, yeah. Very it's ironic, isn't it? Essence of the creation of Facebook, but it turns out in terms of monetization, not so much. So I think it's interesting. Yeah, it's a little bit like one of the sad facts of the internet is that when it came... <laughs> It was like, oh, this is going to make people understand each other better. And the opposite has happened. There's some horrible groups out there which are getting more and more extreme. Anyway, we have to move on. Uh, thank you both. Uh, great stuff. Uh, digital advertising spend. A story that will run and run, as I say. And talking of news, uh, our next section, as ever, is in the news. Okay, Maureen, <clears throat> one of your favourite subjects uh, rears its uh, uh, rears its head. Um, let's let's not make any comment on um, his level of attraction. So, Bob Iger again has been doing things uh, that have uh, piqued your interest, uh, Maureen. Do you want to start? It sounds almost like the uh, plot of a of a TV series, but please tell us more. What's Big Bob been up to? So, Big Bob, Bob, yes, Bob. Uh, here. As we know, uh, Bob, we are, uh, as Rowan Atkinson would say, Bob. Uh, as we, uh, as we know, we've been monitoring whether or not um, he's uh, he's found his successor, because uh, that's why he was um, uh, ultimately brought back into Disney to to spend two years looking for uh, another successor. So we understand. I mean, he's created so much drama, not only um, with the backlash uh, of various things he said 
in the uh, in press releases and uh, uh, interviews about the strikes and the, uh, the the writer strike and the actor strike. Uh, but he's uh, he's it is known now that um, he has uh, he's pulled in two uh, alumni of of Disney. Um, that is um, Kevin Meyer and Tom Staggs, I think, yeah, who were in different parts of the Disney business, um, at, who who left a few years back um, and has now set up their own uh, advisory firm called Candor. And uh, they have specifically come in to help him, to advise him. And the speculation and the rumour here is that perhaps uh, they will be his successor. So uh, it's it's kind of fascinating that they, uh, the two of them that are actually joined at the hip in this new venture, are being brought in and could well be then therefore, you know, competing against one another uh, for the top job. Now there's uh, there's 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 it's beautiful thought here and the, the polarized views as to of course they won't they have a nice sort of get up at uh, at candle uh, they won't be interested and plus they won't be fighting against one another for for this. But it does does uh, bring to mind a couple of things and uh, and some interesting, you know, drama as in uh, as in succession itself. But uh, uh, but I but I know Claire, you and I have uh, have some interest, <laughs> and straight away we could see parallels with various other uh, uh, two people joined at the hips in our previous lives at, at various media companies. And I'll uh, I'll chant still your thunder of using that as an example. So Claire, I mean this whole. This whole Disney business is uh, it, it's like each morning I get up and I, I look at something. Something is in the news. Something is always in the news. Something entertaining as well. Yes, it's interesting. He's, I mean, it's worth reminding everybody. He's just signed another two-year contract. So whoever replaces him uh, is going to. That's not going to be for for another couple of years. These two guys. What this reminds us of is, and I don't know if we'll put the name in it, but you might want to Google it, the two very famous uh, Australian TV producer brothers who were uh, hired, left, and rehired several times by several production companies, very often becoming CEOs at the same time. And they, they, this seems very like, very like what just happened there. These two guys... Kevin Meyer in particular was seen as a potential uh, CEO candidate, didn't get the job, left uh, with his friend, set up another company, and now is coming back uh, to potentially be on in the running again. And, um, you know, it's, I don't know, I, I think it's it's always tricky. I guess Bob Iger did come back, but he, he retired. It's always tricky to go, go back to a previous job. Uh, Kevin Meyer was mostly famous for having launched Disney Plus and the and the in um, uh, the streaming business, uh, but the that is, I mean this is still very very core part of the Disney strategy. But Bob Iger himself has sounded a bit more doubtful about it. Uh, I don't know. It will be interesting to see. But yes, uh, I wonder if they're going to be pit against each other, which is going to create a lot of tension in the organization. It's also a bit sad that these are another two white middle-aged men, you know, coming in to replace uh, the white middle-aged man after he fired another white middle-aged man because he wasn't doing the right job. And you sort of think this is turning around in a very small pool of candidates, not to, you know, which actually, when you think about both the Australian brothers and the Succession brothers, is uh, also true of them. So that will be my my conclusion. It's a good time to be a white middle-aged man in Hollywood. 
It is, but but there's also there's also an added uh, thing here, Claire, which is um, they they fund a lot of productions and uh, and and on their roster are on their slates some really interesting, you know, Disney like productions. So one wonders whether or not they get to the front of the queue mm-hmm. by dint of them being inside the organisation there consulting. So so good luck to Candle and uh, its uh, production arm. I would imagine that they get some really good. Uh, perhaps good uh, green lights uh, for uh, their rafting programs. That'd be interesting. Yeah, although it might be, well, it might end up being a sort of aqua hire where Disney buys Kendall just to, you know, sort this problem out quickly. I don't know. We shall see. I'm going to say uh, instead of Oliver, a story that will run and run. Oh, well said. <laughs> at yes, least for another two years. At least for another two years. Yeah, at least for well, another two sounds years. Sounds like the plot of succession or something quite literally so uh, yes white white middle-aged men god bless them right um i can't wait actually a few years i'll be an old uh an old white man well that works so well I'll, I'll for the wider, the... so i wouldn't be too worried about yeah. that <laughs> no no i don't know i think there's still you said there's a, a small pool but there's still quite a lot of uh quite a lot of the gammons to go around don't worry about that um great story the next one is about music um claire i got you um you've got the spotify results uh and there's some news there about deals with labels quite interesting Yes, Spotify came up with some good results, uh, but mostly they came up saying that they were making progress with their deals with labels. And we've talked about the fact several times that that, that labels, this is music labels, uh, and the two big ones are Warner Music and Universal Music, were, being, uh, were saying that we, they couldn't live with the current Spotify deal. And, that, and not only Spotify, this is also true all streaming platforms of which the two biggest one for music are YouTube and Spotify, and that it was impossible to find a deal and this, they were killing the industry. We talked about our, my friend Robert Kinsel, but Lucian Grant, who's the Universal Music Group CEO, said some very similar things that the, the current agreements had to be transformed. So it was all gearing out to be a bit of a massive fight. And the last couple of weeks, we've had results from Spotify and Universal Music Group, which have all been sort of the message, the very strong message where we're coming to the table where there's a deal in the making, it's going to be win-win, That's Spotify saying uh, that it was going to be win-win, this isn't a, you know, a winner-loser kind of scenario, zero-sum game, we've... Um, we are growing the pie for everyone, is what specifically Spotify said. But it, but in parallel, Universal Music Group, who posted very good results, uh, and strongly strongly beating what the market was expecting, was saying very similar things that they were very happy with the way that the conversation was going with Spotify. So it's interesting because clearly there's there's, there's a very strong willingness to get this done and get it done in a way that doesn't disrupt the market that is booming. I mean, the recording music market, streaming music market is, is currently doing well and nobody wants to disrupt that. Um, so, yeah, uh, quite nice to see people actually managing to get to the table, negotiate and find ways forward. We have very little detail. They've been very cagey about any information, just being very overwhelmingly positive in the in the messaging so that's uh that's where we are with spotify and music and i think it's another one isn't it that every single um analyst's earnings uh, sessions have uh, featured of course something to do with ai so um they've also 
you know, uh, putting through a lot of uh, AI initiatives around discovery, discovery of music. So that's that's going to be interesting. But also this contextualizing and personalizing of, uh, of of content to make it quite accessible and much more accessible than, than it currently is. So um, and of course, then we've got Spotify DJ, but I didn't see any general commentary around that apart from, uh, I mean, I'm not using it um, I, at the moment, but uh, I think I think you guys were. You, you kind of liked it, Spotify DJ. Had a go. Yeah, yeah it was all right. Mm. Uh, but then a bit irritating after a while. The selection of music was good, actually. So it was very much, oh, I haven't heard this for a while. Or, oh, yeah, I like that. Or, oh, this is new. This sounds quite good. Uh, but the DJ himself, I could have done without, I think. Claire, what did you feel? Oh, I wasn't a huge fan, to be honest. I, I mean, I quite like the sort of curated playlist. I don't actually need the DJ to yeah. talk me through it. But, you know... We'll see. We'll see. Maybe it'll work. Maybe I'm just too old. Uh, the other, uh, actually, an, an interesting thing on podcasts, and we're a bit cagey again on, on revenue podcasts, but I'm in France at the moment, and I've been listening to UK podcasts. And interestingly, I'm getting a mix of French language ads and UK language ads. And some of the UK language ads sounds like they've been hard recorded as in they were part of the original recording and they're not inserted by Spotify and then the I'm assuming the French language ads which seem to be limited in range so I'm always hearing the same one basically uh you know they, they're coming in at random moments so it's it's interesting uh good sign I guess that Spotify is selling advertising in France including on non-French language content but not um not yet demonstration of strength on the podcast advertising front, I would say. Hmm. Good. Thank you. Uh, no, that's, uh, that's, that's good stuff. Love my Spotify. Uh, it's a place for music and my podcast. Um, let's move on. Uh, yes, Maureen, back to you. Um, you've spotted something uh, uh, going on with Netflix and they're, uh, and they're renegotiating of the deal with Microsoft. What's the deal there, Maureen? Oh, yeah. So another one that we're keenly following um, as, as, as that's on the board for Microsoft will eventually buy Netflix is still my prediction. But that said, at the moment, they are uh, perhaps they're not the best of friends. Um, but, <laughs> um, but as they come to the negotiating table, uh, as you'll all uh, recall, um, when Netflix decided to go down the AVOD route, um, it chose or selected um, Microsoft as its partner for to support it with its advertising um, tier. So that's a um, lower level 6.99 or something um, subscription package was would be supported by ads. Well, we saw in the first quarter that uh, Netflix wasn't really able to meet its numbers in terms of uh, getting the volume of activity or users uh, signing up to that package. Um, and um, two things happened there. One was the uh, sort of giving the money back to the advertisers or indeed giving it credit notes to carry it forward for the next subsequent quarters. So uh, advertisers still staying close to Netflix, but Netflix still not hitting the numbers that we uh, that they that everyone had thought that it could hit. So um, as part of that, um, it's deciding to renegotiate with Microsoft the original deal to try and get the. Uh, revenue guarantees underpinning this advertising a lot lower um, and um, eff effectively um, they're in the midst of, of doing that. Um, there were interesting sort of industry commentators which I think both Claire and I support in, in their assertions saying it's a bit cheeky isn't it you know you're not doing your job uh, very well so you're blaming 
uh, you're blaming uh, this on your tools. You know, uh, um, poor Microsoft shouldn't be, you know, told to sort of get it sharpen its pencil for something which it has no control over. So, um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, pans out. But um, it is starting to look like when uh, we were questioning Disney's approach last year um, as to how it comes out with its AVOD model or advertising funded subscription model and went down the let me increase my prices for my basic tier <laughs> and possibly that's something that that Netflix you know should is now considering should have possibly looked at back then but is now putting in place and so as we all know and as we mentioned in the last, last podcast that lower tier uh, the basic tier um, for Netflix packages is now being pulled uh, has been cancelled in Canada and we'll see both the US and the UK uh, that particular subscription peer would, uh, tier will be taken away. So they're hoping to see some conversions um, to their uh, to their new package. But frankly, um, I think I think and this is interesting that in the analysts um, earnings call, uh, we didn't hear much of this and they're downplaying it uh, because they still think that this is a small and insignificant immaterial set of numbers uh, relative to the whole of uh, Netflix revenue. I mean, it's only at, at the tune of like three, four percent in terms of their uh, US subscribers. So they still see it as being small. They're still testing it. So they, they feel as if that they can sort of shop around a bit as well uh, while, while testing um, the uh, negotiating leverage that they might or might think they have with, with, with Microsoft. So it'd be good to see how it pans out. Um, but clearly there's been corrections, corrections in pricing. You might recall that they were citing they could get CPMs of $65 or $80. That was brought back down to $45. And now we're, we're hearing things to the tune of $35. So there's a reset in the pricing there. Um, with such small numbers at the upfront, advertisers are not going to, that's not, Netflix is not going to be the first place they go to, uh, for sure. But so, yeah, so, so interesting. Let's see how that pans out. Uh, but I, I would I would urge Netflix to be um, mindful of the fact that Microsoft may be its parent company at some point. So uh, <laughs> think about think about what it says in those negotiating rooms, those four walls, you know, uh, particularly those people that are in those uh, rooms. <laughs> well, that's my prediction. <laughs> anyway, Claire, I don't know you've seen those. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting that I, I suspect Microsoft's quite relieved to get out of what was from the beginning a clearly an overreach in terms of minimum guarantees i mean we've never had the exact number but it was certainly billions over the course of the deal and it was always very very unlikely we always felt i think we said it at the time that microsoft was buying this deal through their minimum guarantees so the fact that they're renegotiating not necessarily a bad thing for microsoft because they were never going to make those numbers um i think what netflix is feeling is a lot of pressure around ARPU, around, you know, the average revenue per user, which is not growing in the way that the market wants it to grow. And they're feeling, they're feeling a lot of pressure around this. So this is a signal to the market that they're hearing what, you know, what people are saying, that they want to take it seriously. I agree with you. I think it's still tiny. And I think there are, I think ultimately they will have to raise their prices. Let's not forget that we're still in the middle of a very tough strike the writer strike and the actor strike who are all fighting to get a slightly bigger share of the price uh, of the of the money at the at the tail end and better residuals which they absolutely should get and that's that's going to increase if you know whatever 
deal is ends up being made, it is very likely to increase Netflix costs at the very uh, least. So they will have to find ways of increasing their revenues. Uh, and advertising will provide some of it, but I'd be very surprised if it provided enough. And that's true as well of Disney, if I'm being honest. I think you, you, I agree with you. I think they did the right thing increasing the price, but it may may well not be enough. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the uh, that's the reason why the st- Netflix stock dropped to I think on the day of the results eight percent against mm-hmm. against what seemed to be a positioning of really good results. I they had uh, net ad subscribers to the tune of five million or just under six, and and because it wasn't flowing through to ARPU, um, the city were pretty pretty damning, you know, about that, and it, they had missed expectations in that regard, and that did have an impact on the stock. Yeah, stock price, I should say. Okay, thank you. Uh, moving on to our last story, um, and it's, it's back to you, Claire. So um, we wanted to talk a little bit about DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, for those people who um, have been asleep for the last two or three years. So DEI, I, I guess, particularly in media, Claire, um, what, what's the story? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I thought it would be interesting to push this out there because there have been, been two recent or media reports or a slew of media reports, some in the U.S. and some in the U.K. Uh, in the U.S., where, where there, there were a couple of articles around the departure of black female executives from a lot of the big entertainment and media companies, uh, all sort of together, you know, various reasons. Uh, but for instance, Karen Horn, who was uh, at Warner Brothers, was laid off as part of restructuring. Latondra Newton, who was chief diversity officer at Disney, uh, was also leaving. And then in parallel, in the UK, we are seeing a lot of broadcasters um, let, not, not always letting go. Sometimes they're leaving on their on their own uh, recognizance. But we're seeing a lot of these. Uh, especially DEI leaders, but also just black female leaders in senior roles leaving the industry. Uh, and it does feel like perhaps there was, there's been a big push to hire around, you know, the Me Too movement and George Floyd, etc. And that in a tough economic environment, uh, things are suddenly going back to what is probably more the norm. And uh, what the norm is in media is slightly less diverse than you might want to think uh, when you think about media as a progressive, liberal, you know, open community. So in 2020, for instance, the UCLA study found that 92% of the chairs of CEO of the major studios were white and 68% were men. And if you look at all senior executives, you have 93% are held by white people and 80% are held by men. So while we have some very, very strong female leaders in the media industry. And actually, I think in the UK, perhaps a slightly better balance of gender. It still is a very, it's still not a very good picture from a diversity and inclusion perspective. And I think that what a lot of these articles are saying is because, and as often happens in in slightly more complex um, economic environment, there is a sort of backlash and going back to what people feel is reassuring, which, surprise, surprise, is Bob Iger and the likes. Uh, and I, it's, it's obviously, I very strongly think, and this is my little soapbox moment, a huge mistake because as, you know, there is more, there's less diversity in the senior management of these, of these companies, uh, people go back to what they know, which is the older white man executive, 
the audience is increasingly diverse. It's increasingly diverse, not only it's in composition, but it's in it, its behaviors, in the way it consumes media, in the way it, uh, in the type of media it consumes, in the type of stories it wants. And, and there's an increasing risk of complete disconnect between the people making the content and the people watching the content, which, you know, I think for a, for a period of two to three years looked like the that, that was going to get bridged. And now we're going back to something that's that looks very, very very familiar, but very um, unlinked. Uh, and I'm sorry to go back to Bob Iger, but he has decided to put himself up front uh, of that trend. You know, his recent remarks around the strikes and around how this was just not, you know, they were so old fashioned and the sort of thing that we would have heard 30 years ago. It just felt very much like a return to the time that we thought we had departed. So there you go. That's the little the little sort of moment. It's really insightful because because you think with those various movements, you know, the Me Too movement and, you know, um, uh, particularly what spurred on, you know, the, the diversity and the certainly underrepresented or more sort of um, uh, racial ethnic sort of groups uh, uh, triggered by sort of George Floyd, that there would be there would be more activity. Now, there, there's some, there's been some movements, so it's not all doom and gloom. And certainly in Hollywood, there are, you know, there are some quotas, there are some revenue credits. So there are definitely, you know, um, uh, incentives in place you know if you you can get some decent revenue credits if you've got you know 50% uh, quotas for example you know for certain staff in certain positions and you know and, and certainly you know you can also get if you hit certain quotas again 50% of those employed on various shows and or you know behind the scenes and or maybe less skilled um, activities uh, again if if they are hitting that quota for the unre underrepresented or, or sort of racial and ethnic groups you can, you you can benefit from it so there's, there's there certainly shouldn't be any obstacles you know to to really sort of um, align with uh, diversity and inclusion so it's just, it's staggering but yeah i mean claire those stats are just uh, I, I i was really quite i was taken aback i was really quite surprised the other which you referred to which was part of the russell reynolds survey uh where they had interviewed or they looked at across since i think 20 i think it's 2018 all those all those positions of chief diversity officer um uh then fast forward uh, to 2021 and beyond, you know, majority of those people have left across the different studios, across the major studios. Um, and it's interesting because in three years, they, they no longer are part of uh, part of the program or part of the activity. And, and a lot of them are saying, I just want to do something different. So who knows what, what sort of, what, what's gone on or the fact that they're not seeing enough progress or it's just difficult and challenging for them. They just left, which, Contrast that to the typical turnover of female CEOs, for example, or CEOs is usually around five years. Mm. This is all changing uh, within two to three years. So it's so quite staggering, actually. I'm, uh, but the but the but the, the UCLA study, as you as, as you uh, as you spoken about, was quite was quite eye opening, actually, and quite worrying, very worrying indeed. But yeah, well, let's monitor this as well. Gosh, yeah. Um, we want it's probably uh, worthy of a, oh, we're, of we're a deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. We should deep um, dive on that. Yeah. 
Certainly in, in, yeah, in some ways we are. I mean, the, the, yeah, the diversity issue, I guess, is affecting every company, so it's a bit, um, it's a bit downbeat, but um, we can monitor this situation. And, and uh, I, I, I remember that uh, podcast that you both did on diversity and inclusion for Arthur D. Little, and it did contain some practical steps uh, that you felt particularly clear as it's a particular interest of yours that, that we could make um, it's maybe something we should revisit at some point uh, but something that everybody all of us um, should be passionate about even those who um, who have traditionally benefited from uh, 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 from a lack of inclusion of other representative groups thank you so much um, for that and it concludes in the news Okay, well, I can't believe it, but we are short of time yet again. So lightning fast has to be just that, both lightning and fast. But we can do it. Um, but there's a, a few things that we cannot avoid on lightning fast. Remember your podmojis. Remember your props. Um, oh, I thought Claire was reaching out for something. And she has. And a little thing comes up, an animal. Uh, it's probably a fox. Uh, I don't know if that represents Fox News. It is a fox. No, it's not a fox. Oh, it's lovely. It's a cow fox. From, yeah, it's like oh, it's it's far more cute than Fox News. Yeah. Although I I don't have any uh, I, I don't have any political affiliations. Of course, I'm perfectly neutral. But he's very cute. Now Maureen's disappeared completely. So uh, <laughs> she's either uh, um, just got bored or uh, she's dragging <laughs> something in. Oh, a penguin! Oh, two penguins! Oh, they're adorable. They are. Are they the Australian brothers that you were talking about earlier? Uh, they they are they're like the Australian they penguins. Yeah, we're pink. We're from the Antarctica. We're from the Antarctica, mate. Uh, so I've just anthropomorphized slightly. So lovely. We have two penguins, uh, a fox, and uh, Maureen and Claire. Uh, so let's go. Uh, first up on Lightning Fast Pod Moji, I'll start with you, Maureen. Um, this X Twitter business and the X domain. Well, the X has no X factor at all. The most hilarious thing about X is, and as we all know, Twitter has renamed, or Elon Musk has renamed his company from Twitter to X, is that uh, he he can't own the trademark. He can't buy the trademark because the trademark X is owned by Mark Zuckerberg. So I think that's hilarious. So I've got a... Can you just do it on purpose? As a, a flying, uh, unusually, penguin there. Um how can he not have done his due diligence? That's, isn't that the first thing you ask? Um, Claire, where are you on this? Uh, well, he didn't do any due diligence to buy Twitter. So. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's, no, that's true. true. That due diligence is not his uh, thing. I mean, I have two things to say on this. The first thing is, obviously, they're going to have to cage fight for the for it. Should be, it, should, it has to become the thing. Oh, boys, boys, whoever, boys. Boys, 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 exactly. Can we talk about the middle-aged white men cage fighting for the ex- um, the X name. And then the other thing I wanted to say, do you have time for a quick story? I we, I know we don't, but I'm going to tell it anyway. We, uh, when I, years ago, I had to, I had to register the domain name xfactor.com. And it turned out that it was already owned by an adult, and perhaps unsurprisingly, oh, yeah. an adult Oof. content Yeah, that, that letter. <laughs> yeah. So I then wrote to them. So we, we registered another name and I wrote to them and I said, would you mind, we understand, we don't want to buy the domain, we understand you, you own it. Would you mind putting on the, on your front page a link to our page so that if somebody comes into your page and wants, actually wants a TV show, you could redirect to our page. And he came back and said, of course, I'll do it immediately as long as you do the same for us. <laughs> Sort of the breakdown of the next no, 
<laughs> no. I thought that was That's a very good response. Happen. Oh, dear. Um, eventually, we did buy that domain name, but yes. Yeah. Anyway, that was my X story. X marks the spot. I, um, I love it. I was approached by a model called Oliver Turnbull because he wanted the Instagram Oliver Turnbull, and uh, I let him have it. I just gave it to him because he's so good looking. Gave it very, to him. Very, you um, think I'm rich? No, he was lovely. He was a young man trying to make his way. Beautiful face, <laughs> and uh, I gave it to him. That was my gift to the modelling world. So Oliver Turnbull, wow. uh, the model. But if you if you Google him, you'll get two very different faces. Um, <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, I'm going to stay with you, Claire. Uh, Microsoft Activision, Podmoji Lightning Fast. Podmoji Lightning Fast. Okay, this one is, um, you know, that, that the little, um, I've got a snail, Podmoji snail, snail. It's moving forward, you know, it's, uh, or a tortoise, a tortoise and the hot hair, you know, it's, this is the tortoise version of the deal. It is actually getting to the finish line. Yeah, it's also it's probably better than snail. Uh, it's just slowly, slowly moving forward. Looks like they're in negotiation again with the FTC. They're in negotiation again with the CMA. There's there's a lot of optimism now that this will in fact happen. So everybody is is, uh, is wanting it to happen, which is a very different place than where we were a few months ago. So good on them. Yeah, Determined Tortoise. Um, that sounds good. Um, or uh, the name of an indie band. Uh, Maureen, your thoughts? Similar? Yeah, similar. Similar. So, okay. equal sign. There we go. That's an oh, equal nice. sign. Very good. And for the record, uh, Maureen has placed her, her hands parallel to each other in an equals fashion. And finally, Maureen, parallel. you... <laughs> horizontally parallel as well, which is also central, because it could have meant, it could have meant, although actually vertically still means parallel, but uh, it doesn't mean equals. So there you go. Uh, pointless and probably very cuttable. This is, again, this is our rehearsal tape, if you remember rightly. Uh, we're uh, just getting on to 15 minutes. Quick, quick, quick. Uh, box office update. Let's start with you, Maureen. Oh, yes. Box office update. Well, we can only talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible. So, uh, excellent. Great stats. So, uh, in all films ever, 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 for the first uh, uh, weekend, it has, oh, sorry, yeah, the first weekend, it has received a, the fourth highest ever gross revenue. Brilliant. And it's also become the fifth domestic uh, uh, US opening uh, of all times as well, just below Star Wars, The, uh, the, uh, the Force Awakens. So uh, Barbenheimer has done brilliantly. In its second, first and second weekend, actually, with some great. Sorry, stats is that there. counting um, Barbie and Oppenheimer against Star Wars, uh, as in the two against one, or is that just a total box uh, office revenues for a weekend? Yes. So okay. I mixed the two there. So you've got you've got Bar you've got Barbenheimer, the two. Mm. Then you've got just Barbie uh, as well for for fifth domestic US opening. Oh, okay. Ever as well. oh, congrats, Hello. Barbie. Yeah. So that's thumbs up, I guess. Right. Yeah. Without leading the witness, yep. thumbs up. Um, and uh, two, two yeah, um, thumbs up. <laughs> two penguins. I don't know. I don't know what the. Uh, okay, yep. Thumbs are up. Uh, interestingly, not parallel. Uh, Claire, finally to you. Box office update. Yeah, I mean, thumbs up. Really happy for both these movies, which are both excellent. Particularly happy for Barbie, uh, being a female-led movie, female-produced, female-directed, uh, and uh, I think a very Written. successful. Uh, in Britain, absolutely. Uh, both of them excellent movies. But I, I fear, I'm, I hope it's not just a one-off. So I have a slightly worried emoji face 
if you know what that is, uh, because the problem, of course, now is writer strikes, actor strikes, nobody is available to promote movies because they were on strike. A lot of delays in films coming out from both Disney and you know, Disney in particular, but all the major studios worried about, you know, extending their slate because they know that they're going to have delays on current productions. So if I was a cinema chain, I'd be really annoyed because you've suddenly reminded everybody that it's quite fun to go to the movies, but then you don't have anything coming out for a while. So we shall see. So good and oh, a little yeah. bit worried for the future. Because I think Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters deferred as well. Ghostbusters yeah. um, Afterlife has been deferred yeah. and pushed into lots of them. Disney and uh, in particular, the delayed, halted, deferred. It's, it's a big issue. It's going to be a big issue. Has anyone done? Uh, has anyone seen Disney, uh, The Haunted House? No. Which I, which I saw oh, the. Uh, yeah, so the, it the looks preview. fun. It's it quite fun. Yeah, I might. I might. I'm going to say something terrible. I might wait until it comes on streaming. <laughs> But now that I've said it out loud, I feel like I need to go and see it in the That's cinema. the consumer's right. <laughs> oh, we've got to support streaming. Penance. <laughs> Okay, I think um, at the risk of uh, becoming a movie review podcast, uh, we have to leave it there, I'm afraid. Uh, we're running over, but I do quite like the movie reviews. They're quite good. I've got to go and see Barbie and uh, Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible, so uh, um, I'm a lot behind, but I'm looking forward to seeing all three. From Can I do I'm Sorry, Oliver, you're going to kill me for this. I have a rant. In Oppenheimer, which is a really good movie, there is one scene, I've said this now to about 7,000 people, but I'm going to keep saying it until, until somebody shuts me up. There is one scene where the wife, played by Emily Blunt, does this thing that it, she, readjusts the, she readjusts the husband's tie, played by Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer's tie, as he walks on stage to deliver a big speech. And I feel like I've seen this scene, the wife readjusting the tie of the husband before his historical moment as she then slowly fades into the background looking after kids and never to be seen again so many times. that And who has ever done this? Oliver, has your wife ever adjusted your tie for you? Uh, absolutely not. She said you look terrible, and that's it. Sort yourself out, uh, but never, never actually help me mechanically. It's such a cliche, and it's a movie that doesn't have a lot of cliches. But that scene made me physically sick, so I, I'm instigating, uh, a, you know, backlash against this tie adjusting boycott. scene going. Yeah, boycott, boycott of tie adjusting scenes going forward. Going forward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm offended as a man. Uh, yes, for yeah. such a yeah, such an old trope. We don't, we can do our own. Yeah, nobody, exactly. no, nobody's helped me with my tie, and nobody's helped me with my tie when I go on stage. Well, exactly. And you always look wonderful. Yeah, and on that note, <laughs> and on that bombshell, that uh, Claire adjusts her own um, smalls. My mother would call the them. I love that quote. Uh, so uh, we probably won't promote the podcast with that actually uh I, no one adjusts my bra claire tavernier 2023 that's a great name that's a great name oh, i feel like we should do that excellent all right well i'm glad we agreed no more time yep, i think we, yes let's all take some deep breaths uh that was good that was an excellent rant i think actually claire's rant might become a feature on the podcast claire's rant every every I can, i'm being french i can definitely come up with one for each podcast that should not be a problem for me yeah. Right now, really, 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 we have to go now. This is this is that that's something my wife does tell me. <laughs> that, 
She said, really, really, you've uh, said too much. You really do have to go. Um, so it only remains for me to say uh, I'll start with Maureen as usual. Thank you so much, Maureen, for your uh, articulate words of wisdom. Thank you, Oliver. Goodbye. Till next and time. similarly to you, Claire, your well-articulated words of wisdom in your second language and your rant, uh, which, of course, was highly endurable. Uh, enjoy- enjoyable, not endurable. It was that as well, but it was mostly enjoyable. Uh, right, well, we'll now go and record this properly. <laughs> this has been the uh, uh, clearly the rehearsal um, tape, uh, and uh, we will have recorded another one in time for the next time we meet. But until then, I bid you all, our fair listeners, a good day. Bye for now.